Righto. Mark. We've got a Mark here. G'day, Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, Today's the day we're actually beginning a brand new series on the gospel of Mark. And some of you might be going, whew. Um, I know to some extent I am. Um, the last two weeks have been pretty heavy going. Sorry, last two weeks. The last two series have been pretty heavy going. And boy, oh boy, we've really had to engage our minds as we studied them. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, followed by Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And I reckon these have probably been the two toughest books that I've ever had to teach. Uh, heavy topics, uh, scriptures that take a lot of explaining, and there's been some tough application along the way as well. Uh, by the way, um, it just so happens that uh, Bonjean Church of Christ have been working their way through our series on Revelation as well, and they're up to the final message today. So today is sort of a milestone for them as well. Um, but over the last two series, I've noticed, as you may have as well, that the messages have been getting a little bit longer than what they normally are. Um, and I want you to know that's not because I like hearing the sound of my own voice. Uh, we needed the readings to be long enough to hold key themes together and yet to adequately unpack the deep subjects that we are studying took quite a bit of doing. But now we're moving on to the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to notice a, an enormous difference here. It is the fastest moving of all of the Gospels. It seems over and over and over again, we hear the word immediately. Immediately this happened. Immediately that happened. Immediately Jesus went here. Immediately Jesus went there. It's very fast moving. If it was a movie, I'm pretty sure I'd have trouble keeping up. Um, with all of the chopping and changes from one scene to the next, and I'd be relying on my kids to say, well, Dad, you dozed off in that little spot, and we've, we're now moved on to here. It, it's the shortest gospel. It's the fastest moving of the gospels. Some people refer to the gospel of Mark as a passion narrative with an introduction. What that means is it's an account of the trial and crucifixion of Jesus with a little bit of an introduction to get us there. And I can understand that their perspective there. There's no Christmas story. It begins with John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus, goes straight into the temptation of Jesus, and then straight into the ministry of Jesus, and all that happens in the first chapter. By chapter 8, which is pretty close to halfway through, Jesus is predicting his death. By about chapter 9, he's on his way to Judea, which is on the way to Jerusalem. And so we're only halfway through the gospel, and his journey to the cross has begun. And the last week of Jesus' life, his crucifixion, his trial, and his resurrection, take up a whole six chapters. A key verse in Mark would have to be chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, so the gospel as a whole 
focuses on what we call the passion of Christ. His journey to Judea, his journey to Jerusalem was made in the full knowledge of Jesus that he was journeying toward the cross. And the Gospel of Mark then focuses on the growing tension between Jesus and the religious establishment, his arrest, his trial, his humiliation. Now, that, this is a very important part here. When I studied the Gospel of Mark in Bible college, my lecturer made it very clear to us that for Jesus, the Son of God, pain wasn't the issue. It was a humiliation. And I agree. Um, and, and we just see the humiliation of Jesus coming out through this Gospel. The humiliation of being put on trial for a start. The humiliation that people would choose Barabbas over him. The humiliation of being mocked and made fun of and spat upon. The humiliation of being flogged. And of course, the humiliation of being stripped naked and nailed to the cross and being left out to hang up in the elements to die while people just gathered around the bottom of the cross and gambled for your clothes. The God of creation, the Son of God, the Lord, was humiliated. And so the Gospel of Mark is a story of this humiliation. It reveals how, God, how the humiliation was actually the cost of our salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd actually rather bear physical pain than to be humiliated. But of course... For the Gospel of Mark to reveal the humiliation of God, it also has to reveal the identity, the true identity, of this man named Jesus. Throughout the Gospel, we encounter community after community grappling with the question, who is this Jesus fella? Because that's what Jesus is pushing them towards. Everything that he did was causing people to ask, who is this bloke that he can do these things? Right. Well, for today, we're just going to read three verses. Um, and normally we take it in turn to reading, but I might just read them for us today, since there's only three. So the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Some of you might be familiar with uh, something called an executive summary. Put up your hand if you've ever heard of an executive summary. One, two, three... Catherine's heard of it twice. She's got both hands up. <laughs> Righto. So now, you, now we all know who has to spend time working out what reports are worth reading and which ones aren't. I reckon you would have heard of executive summaries too, Scott, with your council stuff, I reckon. An executive summary is a section of a do document, usually right at the beginning, that gives the main points of a detailed report. Right? 
For those who need to read a lot of reports, A, it lets them know if this is report if this report is one that they should bother reading or not, um, you know, whether it's relevant for their field. B, it helps them to focus on the sections of the report that are the most important. And C, it's the ultimate spoiler. Right? What, what the report ultimately reveals in reams and reams of paper is right there in a few paragraphs right at the beginning. So if you're someone who's a bit lazy, that might be all you read. Verses 1 to 3, but especially verse 1, is a little bit like an executive summary. The whole Gospel of Mark is about the identity of Jesus. Who is this Jesus fella? And there's a bit of an undercurrent there of what we call the Messianic secret. Jesus is doing two things. On one side, he's revealing what he, who he is by what he does. But he keeps saying to people, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Right? Jesus is concealing who he really is. And as we work our way through this gospel, there's going to be some aha moments. In chapter 8, verse 29, for instance, which is pretty much right in the middle of the gospel, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Aha, there's an aha moment. But even at that point, it's still like Jesus is still trying to keep his identity a secret. Don't tell anybody. And it's only when we come to the very end, when Jesus dies on the cross, that finally a Roman soldier of all people says, truly this man was the son of God. Aha. But we've got the executive summary. We already know the conclusion. It's right there, right at the start. And so the Gospel of Mark isn't written like a thriller or like a mystery where we enter into the story and we're surprised at every twist and turn along the way and, but we're, and we're held in suspense until the end. What it does is it puts us into the position of being able to see the bigger picture and to not only understand who Christ is, but to marvel at why so many people in his day missed it. And also understand why especially the religious establishment got it so wrong and crucified the Son of God. Oops. I mean, if there's something that makes you go, oops, that'd be it, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, like, the religious establishment crucifying the Son of God would be like the Greens bulldozing a rainforest so that they can build a party headquarters. It'd, it'd be a true oops. Do you get this? For the religious establishment to crucify the Son of God, no matter what marking system you use, that's an epic fail. But Mark makes sure that we know right from the start who Jesus is. He is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He is Lord. Righto. The beginning of the gospel. The word gospel in the original Greek is euangelion. It means good news. Imagine we're in first century Rome. 
And imagine that Caesar's armies have been away in a battle in some far-flung land. And approaching Rome comes a runner, a messenger, in Greek, euangelos, evangelist. A messenger of good news. And as he comes running into town, he's shouting, euangelion, euangelion, or in English, gospel, gospel. Good news, good news, Caesar's armies have won the victory. Gospel, gospel. That's how the word euangelion was used. And when the early disciples of Jesus had to describe what Jesus has done for us and the life that we can have in Jesus, they could find no better word to use than euangelion. Gospel, gospel. A message of good news, great news, a great victory has been won. It's something to celebrate. It's something that should be bringing us great joy. And Mark begins, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, what does he mean by that, to say it's the beginning? Is he saying that this is the beginning? I'm starting to write now, right? So like saying once upon a time. Right? Is he saying that I'm starting to write the good news of Jesus Christ and by the time I get to the end, you've heard it all. You've heard the gospel. Or is he saying that John the Baptist announcing the coming of the Lord is the beginning of the good news? Or is he saying that the whole of this gospel, right through from beginning to the, to the end, right through to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, is only the beginning? That the good news of Jesus Christ will go on and it will continue throughout history. And even today, as God works in the hearts and lives of people, the gospel, the good news, the great news, the great victory that is won, continues. Which is it? Well, he could be saying any of those things, for it is all of those things. He was beginning to write the good news of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist announcing the coming of the Lord was the beginning of the good news. This whole gospel, from beginning to end, is only the beginning of the good news. The good news continues. So it's good news, it's great news, it's joyous news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what does Jesus reveal to us about the identity of Jesus? Well, let's start off with his name, Jesus. Uh, does anyone know anybody today called Jesus? You do? Over in the Philippines probably. Yeah, yeah. In Australia at the moment. There's not many though, is there? No. And yet in Jesus' day, the name Jesus was one of the most common names around. Nothing extraordinary about it at all. In the Greek, Isus. In the Hebrew, Yeshua or Joshua. It's made up of two Hebrew words. Yahweh, which is God's personal name, and the word for salvation, which I can't pronounce, and it means Yahweh saves, or Jehovah saves, if you want to use the German pronunciation. And so, while the name of Jesus was one of the most common names of his era, the meaning was entirely appropriate. 
Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. And that's exactly what Joseph was told by the angel back in, in the other gospel. The gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21. The angel says to Joseph, you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's an entirely appropriate name. So first name, Yahweh saves. Second name, Christ. And it's not a name at all. It's a title. Christos in the Greek means someone who has been anointed for an office. In the Hebrew, it's Messiah. Now, the Jewish people, they were a defeated nation. Israel was occupied by the Romans. Yeah, they did have kings, um, but they were only puppet kings. They only did what they were told by the Romans. Um, the Jewish people were an oppressed people. And for years, they had been seeing in their scriptures the promise of the coming anointed one who would come and save them, the Messiah. And they were looking for a king, God's anointed one, who would raise up a great army and save them from their oppressors. At least what, that's what they thought the Messiah was going to do. First name, Yahweh saves. His title, Christ, Messiah, God's anointed one who would save. Third name, once again, not a name, but his identity, the Son of God. We don't have to wait until the last, last few pages of the gospel to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Right from the start, we're told this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It would be blasphemous to say that about any other man. In fact, that's exactly the charge for which Jesus was crucified, that he claimed to be the Son of God. And as we read the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see that everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did was him revealing that he could be none other than the Son of God. But can you understand why this was such a massive claim? For Jesus to truly be the Son of God means that he himself is divine, that he is God. And yet, that's what Isaiah the prophet foretold. Verses 2 and 3 are a combination of three Old Testament passages. Uh, Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. Now, I just want to share something with you. I've shared this with our church here before, but we've got a bunch of visitors here, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Now, some of you might have been reading on in your own Bibles and seen where it says, the Lord, and I said Yahweh. And you might have wondered, well, why did he do that? Um, there's a convention, the way our Bibles are written. Um, sometimes 
the word Lord is written in all capitals. Uh, so if you notice... Have I got it on there? Yeah. So if you look in the... Oh, we haven't got the full Isaiah reading there, have we? No. But in the Isaiah reading, um, it uses the word Lord twice. Um, no, sorry, in the Malachi reading. Yeah. In the Malachi reading, it uses the Lord, word Lord twice. The first time, it's a capital L and then little letters. And the second time it uses it, it's all capitals. Now, what that's telling us, if you turn to the front of your Bible and read the translator's notes, they will tell you that, usually in the front of your Bible, that the reason that they do that is in the Hebrew Scriptures, the actual word there is God's personal name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, if you say it in that way. Now, the, the Jews didn't want to say God's personal name because if they did, they might take it in vain and then they'd get stoned. So it was safest for them when they saw the word, the God's personal name in the Hebrew Scriptures, instead of reading it, they would say, the Lord. All right? So whenever you see the word, the Lord, in all capitals, it's referring to God's personal name, not just the word, the Lord. Okay, so when Isaiah, sorry, when, when John the Baptist was quoting Isaiah, he was quoting, he's referring to the Lord there, it's all in all capitals in the Hebrew Scriptures in Isaiah, which means it's God's personal name. So Isaiah foretold that John the Baptist was going to come and the message that he's going to preach. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, to say prepare the way of the Lord, that's, that's blasphemy. Because quoting that scripture from Isaiah, that's talking about Yahweh. That's, and yet they're calling Jesus the Lord. Are they saying that Jesus is God? Yeah. That's exactly what they're saying. So let's put all this together. The executive summary of the Gospel of Mark. This is the beginning of the really, really fantastic, victorious news of Jesus, Yahweh saves, the anointed one who will save us, the Son of God, the Lord God Almighty. This is who Jesus is. And if this is true... And I believe it is. We cannot possibly remain neutral. We're either for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, or we are against Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is Lord, but we reject his lordship. We're either for him or we're against him, but it is impossible to remain neutral toward him. And you, you know, most, of us, most people like to think, oh, I don't, I'm not one way or the other. Yeah, live and let live. But it's impossible to be neutral. You're either for Jesus or against him. Which is it for you? Are you for him or are you against him?
As we continue to study this book of Mark, we're going to discover that nothing is more important than being for Jesus. Nothing is more important, no sacrifice is too costly to follow Jesus as Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for this gospel of Mark. I thank you that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Lord, I pray for all those who are in this room and for all those who are hearing this recording in their cars or their tractors or their living rooms or in other churches. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to them your identity. That Jesus is the God who saves. That Jesus gave his life as a ransom. And Lord, I pray that all of us would choose to be with you. For the only other alternative is to be against you. Lord, if there be anyone hearing this who isn't following you as their Lord, Lord, I ask that you'd give them a divine discomfort, a disquiet, a restlessness until they turn completely to you as their Lord and their Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to say, if you're not sure if Jesus is your Lord, and if you have that restlessness not knowing whether he is or not, and, and you have a feeling that you need to actually address this, um, don't, don't ignore that feeling. That's God who's giving you that feeling. Because you're either for God or you're against him, but you can't be neutral. Um, just come up to me or, or one of the elders and say, I want to make Jesus my Lord. And don't, don't ever feel, oh, Michael's too busy, I, I won't interrupt him, he's doing something else. There is nothing more important than this. Um, nothing more important than making Jesus your Lord. And I'll talk specifically to the people who listen to the recordings. Um, that goes for you guys too. Um, you can easily contact me, www.bushdisciples.church and go to the contact details, and we're a small church. You'll easily find us, and it's me who'll answer the phone, it's me who'll get your email, and this is the most important thing you need to address too, is to know that Jesus is your Lord and your Saviour. Amen.